You're listening to highlights from the Creative Process interview with Daniel Handler. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. I mean, I think everyone's childhood is full of injustices in one world word or another. So yeah. the injustices that I encountered in my childhood by the global standards of injustice and trauma were very, very minor, but um, they were upsetting to me as they are when you're a child. Yeah. Things that aren't fair to you or feeling like you're not wanted or welcome, um, those are powerful emotions. Sure, and everything is it can be exaggerated, as you say, in a child's mind. Like a, um, an ordinary pain can seem like it was inflicted by a monster, or um, you know, that's the wonderful thing about childhood. Well, I think we're all like that. We're just mm-hmm. encouraged to be more upset about it when we're children. Mm-hmm. I mean, probably the thing that bothers you most in your life is not some great cat- catastrophic thing that you know about, mm-hmm. right? It's probably some ordinary injustice. You know, mm-hmm. the hardest that we ever cry as adults is not when we learn about genocide. It's mm-hmm. when someone hurts our feelings. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, um, I, I think when you're a child, you get to express that with more free reign. And when you're an adult, you have to kind of pretend that's not what upsets you. That speaking of the not just the inventiveness of the words and the stories and the characters and the visualization of that is great and I also love uh, the way in that certain elements and in your other writing how um, how tr- San Francisco is transformed yes how elements into it's not quite yeah, yeah I mean I'm it's a real elements. snob about San Francisco I grew up here and um, I lived a few other places here and there but mm-hmm. mostly have lived here and I'm certainly not leaving mm-hmm. um, I find this place to be an endlessly magical one and mm-hmm. it is one in which so many people have come to find uh, sanctuary or acceptance the various um, kind of reinventions and um, pioneer fantasies that come mm-hmm. in San Francisco are so enormous even for California which is already its kind of own imagined mm-hmm. space yeah. Um that it's constantly erasing its history in um, in favor of some enormous revolution. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's all pretty fascinating. And it certainly gives you leeway when you're writing about San Francisco that you feel like it can go in any direction you want because it's mm-hmm. gone in so many directions and it's already in so many directions simultaneously. Unlike other locations I've been that are so beholden to their own history with San Francisco, it's almost like you can just make it up from scratch when you're writing about it. So that's exciting. And I think it's a beautiful city, and I have family there, and I'm in Paris, so I feel we're sort of twin. They always said that, that it was a little bit twin. <laughs> yes, Paris, also a magical city for sure. <laughs> it's, it's, you heard it here first, the podcast <laughs> audience. Paris is a nice place. <laughs> no, I feel at home, well, because I was at family there, but I mean, I feel at home when I go to San Francisco and um, and because it has that European element, so that, but I, yeah, it's it's important. Yeah, I mean, I think what one thing that San Francisco and Paris have in common is that they take beauty very seriously, and it was yeah. built along aesthetic lines. Mm-hmm. And so, even when that's threatened by the juggernaut of the corporate culture of late capitalism, as mm-hmm. everything is, you still um, there's still kind of the bones of the city that was built for beauty. Mm-hmm. And um, and I do actually remember the first time I went to Paris, I kept. I had a camera with me and, and kind of I couldn't get a wide enough angle. You know, I would uh-huh. say, oh, I want to take a picture of this beautiful, tiny little thing. But I would say, but you really have to see, you know, the shelf on which it is. And then the shelf, you have to see the room. And the room, you have to see the building. And it's like I, I couldn't take a, a, a big enough picture of Paris. And I also just had that feeling that 
I mean, it's so unremarkable to say that Paris is beautiful. Everyone mm-hmm. knows that it's beautiful. Even if you've never been or never even seen it, you've mm-hmm. heard somehow mm-hmm. that Paris is beautiful. And yet it still seems like an understatement when you get to Paris. You mm-hmm. know, you still have this feeling that is, um, why didn't anybody tell me how beautiful it is? <laughs> I mean, aside from all of the culture relentlessly telling me how beautiful it is, but why didn't anybody tell me it was this beautiful? And yeah, and I didn't know what you mean about taking a photo because you always feel, well, maybe like behind my shoulder there's something else I'm missing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you need like a, a, a 360 degree camera of endless range. <laughs> and you know, it's another big mystery or disappointment. It's, it's I. I think that it's like no more beauty. I mean, I think it's beautiful. Like it's it's most beautiful. Like right now, because it's like empty. <laughs> no one's there, and we're all missing it. You know, like we're only allowed to go out to shop. So it's kind of strange. And I'm sure San Francisco too is like uh, you know thriving and beautiful nature there. And um, I'm sure that it's like probably and it's one of its pretty and the people make it beautiful I mean I guess but yeah. there's a certain austere beauty to emptiness yeah. I will say that but um, I have a view from my house and part of it has some kind of big thoroughfares that are normally jammed with mm-hmm. cars and to see it empty is not a nice feeling no, and it's I think San Francisco actually is at its most beautiful when it's kind of vibrant and full of people and they're mm-hmm. all bumping up against one another and um, to feel that Missing, and not only missing, but um, you know something that will return very carefully and perhaps in an entirely changed way. Um, it's very unnerving. So no, it's not San Francisco's most beautiful time, in my view. Yeah, panic is not beautiful. <laughs> Anxiety is yeah, not beautiful. Right. There's something a little ugly about worry. <laughs> um, I'm going to steal a bit of a question for, from you because I'd heard a public conversation you did with Neil Gaiman, and you asked him because I thought it was good. Uh, is there a sense of one? Is there any sense of wonder left in the world? And I thought, wow. <laughs> oh yeah, I think someone else. I think that was a. I think I read that question out loud from someone else, but I'll oh, happily take credit for sorry. it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that. I mean, uh, Mr. Gaiman and I are friends, mm-hmm. and um, I uh, I have a great time um, uh, talking with him, really, about anything. Mm-hmm. But um, I think he and I are both interested in the enchantments of the world mm. at slightly different angles maybe mm. but um, we both see a lot of magic in places and that to me seems pretty essential for the work of a writer is, mm. or at least the kind of writing that I admire most is mm. to, um, to see that magic and that enchantment of one kind or another yeah, and that's what I was, I guess I was really, like, when I first asked you, is that, I, it's like, how do you maintain, I think it's actually one of the, not just for writers, for young people, or writers of fantastic uh, literature, or whatever, uh, is that, it's like a challenge for any artist, is how do you maintain that sense of enchantment um, through maturity, you know, not naivety, but how do you, right. yeah, how do you keep the magic, right? Yeah, I I mean, you just have to look. You just have to kind of wander the world. Mm -hmm. I think um, that if you look, it is there. Mm -hmm. Um, And kind of in the same way that people we know who are determined to be um, bitter or um, infuriated or sad 
you know, will find a way to be upset about even the happiest of moments. And I think in the same way that you can find um, enchantment in what seems the most ordinary. Um, and then as you, you know, write um, books that are for um, a, a, primarily an older audience, do you, um, I don't know how you divide that because like you have like your kind of two writing selves or how does that, um, how do you transition between that, I guess? Or what things do you, yeah. How do I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they don't feel like really different things to me. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, there was never an idea that I had for a book that I thought, oh, this is for children, and then it turned out to be for adults or vice versa. Mm-hmm. I think I always knew. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that the kind of project will change, but just the process of um, having blank paper and um inspirational books and notes on hand or maybe a few images or even little items that can kind of lead you on the way but I mean I write them all on the same boring uh-huh. legal pads uh-huh. and um, I it feels like the same project to me so right. people are always asking me that and um, I know of course that there, I, there's books of mine that are way more visible than other ones and that that's not I'm, I'm not trying to pretend that um, it's, it's all some plateau, but mm-hmm. uh, the process of working on them feels the same. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.